0: Would you hear from the words of Scripture this morning, starting in 1 Peter chapter 3? Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, Our God and our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning on behalf of the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, knowing that it is He who, through His own body, paved the way for us to come. By His sacrifice, the veil in the temple was torn. Lord, we thank You for that. We thank You that You have cared for Your people such that we now have access to you. Lord, we thank you for each one of the brothers and sisters that are able to join with us this morning and for those who are not here. We pray for those who are sick or shut in or otherwise unable to join with us. And Lord, we know that within our congregation there are those who have needs. There are those who are struggling and who are suffering. We think of the Goulet family as they are in Edmonton with their little one Carol at the Stollery. And we just ask that, Lord, we, we do not know the, the reason or even why she's sick, Lord. But, God, we trust that you are good and that you have a plan for even this. And we ask that in your will that you would heal Carol and bring her back to full health, strengthen and equip the Goulet family Tom and Sarah and even the kids to, to handle this and to continue the wonderful ministry they have as foster parents. We pray that you would continue to work upon your church both here and around the world that your church might be forefront in this ministry of caring for those who are orphaned or without healthy family. And Lord, that we as a church might care for those who are caring for the children of others. Whether immediate family or families that we don't even know. God, we continue to pray for our university students as they have finished up their their semesters. And some are returning home to, to visit and be with family before returning to school in the fall. And others are coming home having graduated, we thank you for the good report we have of our our graduates, and Lord, we just ask that as they travel home that you would give them safe travels. God, we ask that for all of our students who are away at school during the school semester, Lord, that you would protect them and their hearts. That you would give them discerning spirits that they might know what is true and what is false according to your word, and that they would measure truth according to your word. And Lord, that even as we sit here this morning, that you would equip us as your people to measure even my words as I preach according to your word. For your word is the only infallible source of truth that we have. And God, as we worship you in the preaching of your word, we ask that you would prepare our hearts and turn them into fertile soil for your Holy Spirit to work and act upon us in such a way that we would grow in the likeness of Christ. And thinking particularly of the chapter that we're in, that you would grow and strengthen and encourage us in the faith, that we would rest and rely upon you, that we would have a firm foundation upon your truth, and that we would trust in you no matter the trials and no matter the tribulations that we might face, and no matter the joys and the pleasures and the distractions that we might face that in all of these things, that we might cling first to you. And in doing so, we might receive the reward that we look forward to. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There are few things so problematic in our world today as humanity's gross misunderestimation. Or gross underestimation of our own sinfulness humanity as a whole and we individually are masters at the art of understatement misdirection and denial when pressed we tend to downplay the gravity of our own sin we hold up others as worse examples but what about him And often, eventually, when we're pressed and faced with the truth of the matter, we will even outright deny the sinfulness of our own actions. We come up with excuses. Well, it's not a sin for me because... If you want to catch an idea of the deadly seriousness of sin in the eyes of our God, you need only look to our universal forebear in Adam. One sin... One disobedience to the law of God was enough to utterly sever humanity's right to good relationship with God. We were created for right relationship with Him, and yet one sin was enough to tear that and to totally stain the entirety of the human race. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. That is the gravity of sinfulness. And our example of effective faith this morning, of one who has the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, is one who is intimately familiar with the penalty that was due for sin. If you've been tracking with us the last months, you will not be surprised to know that we're going to talk about Noah. Few other men by the end of their lives had such a good picture of what it meant to see the wrath of God upon sin. Noah witnessed the utter destruction of all human civilization up to that point. There's all manner of guesswork as far as how long that was, but 1,600 years plus of human civilization, of humans like you and like me, prone to wicked sinfulness, all wiped out in an instant. The destruction of mankind in the global flood. But interestingly enough, even with the gravity of sin, and when we speak of Noah, we obviously are keenly aware of his story in the flood. It's not the flood itself that our passage focuses on this morning when it's talking about Noah and his faithfulness. Again, it's as I've been saying over and over again, faith requires an element of uncertainty, unprovenness. We will not have the opportunity to respond in faith when we are all standing before Christ at his throne. By then, that time has passed. And Noah did not respond in faith when the first raindrops fell and he saw, okay, this flood is actually coming. Noah's faith came in the decades and decades before the flood, where he built a 510 foot long, 85 foot wide, and 51 foot tall boat. And if God had commanded Noah to build a boat and no flood had come, Noah still would have been commended for his faithfulness because God told him to build a boat, and he did. From Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, is our passage this morning. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. To understand... Noah's response of faith, we obviously have to dive back into his origin story in Genesis chapter 6. And I'm going to read a chunk starting in verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of birds according to their kinds, and the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded him. As we've seen in some of our accounts, as we've looked through this hall of fame of faith, there's elements of these narratives that immediately come to mind. We think of Noah and We picture animals walking in pairs into the ark. We think of thrashing rain and blowing wind. We picture doves and olive branches and maybe the rainbow by which God covenanted with Noah. But these are not the only focal points in this story. Noah was commended earlier in Genesis 6 as being a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And he received the commendation for his faith, the seal of his righteousness, when being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. I've said this before, but it's hard for us to imagine any kind of different outcome here. Noah is the guy who built the ark. But when God came to Noah, this was not a foregone conclusion. Noah was not yet the guy who built an ark. Noah was the guy who was told to build an ark. But God, in his sovereignty, had, according to his plan, decided that this is how it was going to be accomplished. But God has decided that he was going to work through Noah. And he also decided that he was going to reward Noah for his faithfulness. Noah was chosen for this task ultimately for God's own purposes and because God so willed, but Jonah receives this same commendation that Enoch received. He walked with God. Now Enoch, we didn't get a whole lot of details as to what walking with God meant. And even of Noah, the details are not everywhere, but we do know the story of him building the ark. With Enoch, walked with God, replaced an element within the story of so-and-so did this, had this many sons, and then he died. But Enoch walked with God and then he was no more. Noah walked with God, and if he had not walked with God, the end of his story would be, and then he died, and the human race with him. But Noah walked with God, and then he was saved. Noah, too, in a way, escaped death. Having lived a life in faith, a life of righteousness, we know that Noah was a righteous man, And having walked with God, it was through Jonah that God decided to establish the future of all mankind. They were commended, both Noah and Enoch, and they were rewarded for their belief. Enoch taken to heaven and Noah in the salvation of himself and his household. In the face of the greatest disaster ever to fall upon our earth. 2 Peter 2 provides a great backdrop to some of the points I want to make in today's passage. Here, Peter's talking about these false teachers and their followers, but then he goes into kind of a a sidebar on the character of God in light of people's responses in Scripture. And the example he uses are those of Noah and of Lot. Here in 2 Peter 2, starting in verse 5. For if God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot and greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented in his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Again, we have another example of God rewarding people for faithfulness. And that's the first point that I will want to bring out in the rest of today's messages, that God does reward his people for their faithfulness. And the second is that God also uses his faithful not only to reward them, but also in the condemnation of the faithless. The first one is much more comfortable for us. God rewards the faithful in our in our culture we're very comfortable with this idea of the righteous being rewarded In the vast majority of our media we have the superheroes win the day the good guy gets the girl and the sheriff gets the bad guy so we like this idea we like this idea of the the good guy the faithful the righteous is rewarded and the wicked are punished and unfortunately And predictably, our reality often doesn't play this out. We like to say, cheaters never prosper. But oftentimes, the best cheaters are the ones who win. We like the idea of the good guy gets the girl. But there's a reason why the phrase, nice guys finish last, still floats around and oftentimes proves itself out. The description that Genesis 6 gives Noah's world is totally accurate today of the world that we exist in. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. It doesn't take too much for us to imagine situations and day-to-day, even our interactions with our our friends and our neighbors, to see that this is true. For us today, to be righteous has this kind of fond nostalgia attached to it. But one who truly tries to be righteous and to be faithful to the commands of Scripture is often at the very best tolerated and at worst outright despised. Paul warned Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Our world loves the idea of appearing godly. That's why we still see the paradigms of the superheroes and the good guys and why everyone would hold them up. We appear righteous. But the faithfulness of Noah, the faithfulness of Lot, and the faithfulness of so many throughout our world today, and many of us even have stories of this, our faithfulness to our ideals and the commands held out in scripture is not applauded lot was threatened with death we don't necessarily hear the story of the people's response to noah building this boat but i doubt it was viewed with anything except suspicion and ridicule and many of you will know that when you are living according to the commands of scripture you have found that the world sometimes just kind of shuns you to the side. You're the, you're the weirdo who believes that Bible stuff. And sometimes for us it's come to outright persecution and outright hatred by the world for what we believe. That is to be expected. Thinking of Noah, Noah endured what must have been absolutely back-breaking work, building this boat over the course of close to a century. He was acting in reverent fear, aware of things that he'd been warned about but had not yet seen. He likely could not have imagined the magnitude of this flood that was coming. Just as I can not imagine that Lot had any concept of the utter destruction that Sodom and Gomorrah would see but for their faithfulness and their righteous action even in the face of backbreaking labor and ridicule threats Lot and Noah were rewarded with salvation from what otherwise would have been utter destruction so as a brief encouragement brothers and sisters even in the face of a world that outright hates you hates what you stand for keep standing For the stand you take, maybe some will honor and respect you. But on the whole, most of the world will likely cast you aside and perhaps even hate you for it. But know that like Noah, his faithful have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold fast to the end, our original confidence. And we look forward to the reward that awaits us just as Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, Endured the cross. Our reward is life eternal. Now I have to bring something else to our attention. Most of us are okay with this idea of God rewarding the faithful. Most of the world is okay with the idea of God rewarding the faithful. But God also uses his faithful in the condemnation of the faithless. When we think of Noah building this ark, one of the things that often attends the story, if you've watched the children's stories or read the children's Bible, you have this idea of Noah going around preaching repentance and saying, come on in the boat with me and you'll be saved. Calling all his neighbors and saying, if you would hear me and believe, come and join me in the ark. But that doesn't seem to be the bent of Scripture. The idea of Noah preaching to others and telling them to come with him is taken out of 2 Peter 2.5 where Noah is called a herald of righteousness. He had preached righteousness. But in Genesis 6.13, God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. In similar fashion, God said to Lot, we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. There is no account of Noah being sent to warn the people to repent from their sins, come into the ark and you can join me. Lot was not sent out of his house before he left Sodom and Gomorrah to tell everyone to come with him because the Lord was going to destroy this place. The account of the people before the flood is that they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if Noah, by his actions and his words, did proclaim the judgment of God against wickedness and his goodness to the righteous, but... The reality is, is the judgment of God as proclaimed to the masses would have fallen on deaf ears. God had determined that his judgment would be dispensed. And that Noah and his family would be the ones who would escape it. When God wants to warn a people, he does so. Take the story of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Sounds similar to the story of Lot. And then after a roundabout route involving storms and a great fish, Jonah finally arises and goes to Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord, Jonah began to go into the city and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. But we don't hear that part of the story with Lot and we don't hear that part of the story with Noah Lot and Noah, by their faith, became instruments of God's judgment. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world. I don't know about you, but the immediate idea of being used in God's judgment makes me wholly uncomfortable. When I take the word of Christ into the world, I want to bring joy, I want to bring love, I want to share mercy of Christ and the compassion that he displayed on the cross. We just gathered around the Lord's table this morning. As we said, when we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When you and I proclaim the joy, the love, the mercy, the compassion of Christ When we proclaim his death, we are proclaiming it to the joy and the salvation of those who would come to him, but we also are proclaiming it to the damnation of those who would reject that truth. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. uncomfortable knowledge that God has decided what he will do and how he will do it. He has decided to use his own people as implements in his condemnation of the world. But for us, it comes down to who we trust to have the right of things. I have a dear, dear brother that I grew up with. He came to church with me. We were In youth group growing up, we were best of friends, and we still are close friends. But somewhere in his university years, he took a look and went, if God is willing to condemn anyone to eternal punishment, I can't believe in a God like that. Like I said earlier, we, as a human whole, And even as believers, I think we grossly underestimate our own sin. If you want the reality, it's that we have to trust who knows best, who has the right of things. Romans 9 is the poster child for this. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault, for who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. We read earlier from 2 Peter where he says, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And It is at least in part by the actions of the righteous that God levels that judgment. Noah had been warned of what was coming. Noah was told, build an ark. Noah was told, I will destroy all flesh. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. The reality is that you and I sitting here this morning we have paid attention to the words of Scripture. We know that the flood is coming. You and I know that the end is near. That the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and on that day the judgment will be just as swift and even more final than it was in the flood. The world will be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and then Christ will return and judgment will come. We know that that is coming. But unlike the story of Noah, you and I have been explicitly given the task of sharing the gospel with all nations. Christ came to his disciples and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Like I said, we have no account of Noah being sent out with a similar message. On the contrary, we know that God had determined that he would save Noah and Noah's family. But this coming judgment, there is no resets. There is no continuation from there. The judgments of the flood and the judgments of Sodom will pale in comparison to the coming judgment that comes at the end of days. And God has sent us ahead of this judgment to proclaim the gospel because unlike the salvation of Noah, which was only for Noah, God has provided salvation through Christ. Which the angels at his birth are recorded as having said that this is good news of great joy which will be for all men. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Lord has determined his judgment. Only he knows the day and the hour. But the Lord is having patience with his people. He is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. We cannot be hesitant, brothers and sisters. We must proclaim both the judgment of God and His mercy to everyone who would hear it. It's easy for us to get this idea that we just have to hold fast our own confession. We just have to do the me and Jesus thing where I'll go to church and I'll have my own private strong faith. But our confession is meant to be public. Our confession is meant to be before all men. Jesus tells his followers that if anyone is ashamed of me, then I will be ashamed of them. Our confession of faith is not a confession in private that is meant to stay there. It is a confession before all men. That is why baptism is meant to be step number one in the Christian life and faith. Once you have committed yourself in faith, you are to be baptized because you confess before everyone who's willing to listen. This is what I believe. This is the truth. And then we continue confessing that day in and day out, whenever we are given the opportunity. And as terrifying and as sad as it is, we, like Noah, may become an oracle of condemnation for some. But for those who do believe, who God uses the confession of faith that we proclaim to draw this person to himself, that will become life everlasting in them. John 3.16 is... Every child's favorite verse, everyone's favorite first memorized verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. But the extended version goes, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now don't start holding in your own hand the book of life. We do not control whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life. We don't need to place ourselves in God's seat and take the burden of God's responsibility. You can't save your brother, your sister, your father, your mother, your son, your daughter, your friend, your uncle. You cannot save anyone. But like Noah, you have been warned of events yet unseen. You know the price of disobedience to the Word of God, and that price is eternal damnation and separation from God. And you have been warned that your responsibility is to, by faith, in reverent fear, preach the gospel to all who would listen. Confess your faith and the reason for your faith before all men. When we look at the story of Noah, we are not Noah. God commanded Noah to build a boat that would save mankind from destruction. We can't save anyone. God sent Christ to accomplish something on the cross that would save mankind. Our job is to be faithful to the truth that he has given us. To those whom he would call. We cannot drag anyone kicking and screaming into heaven as much as we would like to. What we can do and what we must do is to live our lives in such a way to speak in such a way, to preach in such a way that not a single person who knows you, not a single person who has interacted with you in any decent amount of time has the excuse to say that they didn't know. No one should have the excuse to say, having known you, when they get to the end of their life that they didn't know. As our worship team comes to lead us in a closing song, I hope that you will join with me in prayer. I hope that you would pray for yourselves that God would give you a reverent fear of Him and a faith that is both confident and assured. Pray that he would use you as salt and as light to pierce the world's darkness and to draw others to himself. That you would act in faith by confessing and proclaiming your faith. Pray for those in your life who do not yet know him, that God might soften their hearts and open their eyes and ears, that they might see and hear and know that he is God. Let's pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, you have given us the example of Noah. This man who was commanded to do something that didn't make any sense, and yet he trusted in you. He believed in you, and he did as he was commanded. And some days the... The truth of the gospel to many around us makes no sense, but we are commanded to bring that to them. Anyways, We are commanded to bring the gospel to everyone regardless of their receptivity. And Lord, we just ask that you would give us the, the confidence and the greater fear of you than we have of man that is necessary to preach the gospel at all times by our actions and by our words. Lord, I pray for each person sitting here, each person listening online, that no one would be able to know these men and these women and be able to say that they didn't know your truth. Give us the words to say. The heart's confident in you to say it. Lord, I pray for those who are here who have people close to them who do not yet know you. Family members even who have resisted your call in the gospel. I pray that you would give these people comfort that they cannot do anything to save their friend or their family member and that they would have the required trust to rest in you and to know that you know best, and to know that you are good. And that these people, that these brothers and sisters sitting here would not for a second give up praying daily for those who they know do not yet know you. May the lost souls of our friends and coworkers and family members drive us to our knees in prayer that you would help them to know you. And may it drive us to speak your truth to them. Lord, we thank you that you have saved us. That you have given us your son to save us from a destruction of the world even more complete than the destruction seen in the flood. May we pursue you wholeheartedly. May we be willing to follow you even when things don't make sense. Thank you for these things. We pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.